Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. All right, welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are uh, still out here in sunny Silicon Valley, uh, Santa Clara, California, right across from the uh, new Levi's Stadium. Um, sort of wrapping up for the show, wrapping up for the week, I guess for the week, short day, a couple days. Um, so, uh, we have the, uh, the, the, the sort of gang of three from, uh, from Pivotal, uh, Cloud Foundry. So James Waters. We're hey, missing Brian. some of the gang, actually. This is a much larger gang. Than I know. Well, we only we have, we more. only have four microphones. Do you think we so. need one more? <laughs> you think we need one more? <laughs> we just, uh, we just lost Matt Stein, but, uh, James Waters, Andrew Clay Schaefer, Cote, guys, welcome. Um, We've been talking to a bunch of folks. What's what's your take on the show so far? Obviously, uh, really good attendance. Lots of uh, lots of people sitting in sessions and stuff. So, what's your take though? You you live and breathe this stuff every day. Big, yeah. I think the first thing that hits people is it's not a niche. It's so over fifteen hundred people now. Yep, fifteen seventy was the last last count. I heard. So it's big, and uh, it was also just the perception of big was there because I think they planned for around 1,200. Yeah. And so every room was pretty much overflowing the whole time. So it was oversold, which was cool. Yeah. So um, so you had a keynote this morning. You, James, you had a keynote this morning with, uh, with Josh McGinty. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little about kind of the white elephant in the room, right? Lots of talk about containers this week in different ways. Why are you trying to kill Josh and send him on the road all the time? I mean, he looked like he was worn the hell out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, that might be from his new relationship. Wow. Um, <laughs> there's a lot going on. You got here. him talking to everybody. <laughs> no, Josh is, Josh is uh, an amazing asset to Pivotal because he has uh, a couple of attributes that are amazing together, independently great, and you, know, you rarely yep. see them all together. Number one is he's a first rate technologist, so his vision for where this all is headed is tends to be pretty spot on. And yep. some of the best technologists I know in the world trust his technical vision. Second, he's got a lot of domain experience from working with this stuff and talking to organizations. He understands them. So when he, when he meets people, he can identify with their issues, you know, what they're going through. And the third, what you're mentioning is he's willing to kill himself. Yeah. Flying to every city that. in the world. Yeah. And so he's really a secret weapon for Pivotal. You wonder, like, how are all these Pivotal Cloud Foundry customers popping up all over the earth so fast? <laughs> well, and, and I mean, like you said, he's, he's, he's a great technologist. He's built stuff. Yeah. And, and he came from probably at least as bureaucratic a, a location with NASA as anybody. So understanding how to deal with that, which is a lot of what you guys are trying to push, how do you do transformation is big. I, can you think of a better person, right? Like when we let loose on Josh loose on uh, Washington, D.C. over the last quarter, like the number of big agencies that are now headed towards the Cloud Foundry direction, unbelievable. Yeah. And I, I, tip, uh, I tip my hat to Josh on that. Um, so one of the things that you, you guys kind of talked about and it sort of got announced, I heard about it through your podcast. James was on your podcast or maybe you were on the podcast. We've lost you, track. You guys... Um, so there's a there's a new thing you do where you sort of bundle uh, the run up pivotal auto you know pivotal web services yeah, uh, with sort of cloud foundry on prem yeah like talk through the technology of of what's going on with there it's sort of this you know ultra efficient thing but also talk about kind of how you work out the economics of all that what does that mean for a customer well first I I'd love your impression of it because it was sort of an idea we had yeah which was hey. Why are we always talking about bringing your software to the cloud? Why can't you just embed the cloud in your software? Yeah. Um, and so 
I took a long look at it and I realized that for about 15% margin hit, um, I could run an app container in the cloud on Amazon with our ultra efficient scheduling and management uh, for about 15% more than just a subscription average selling price. Yeah. And I said, well, why in the world would I nickel and dime our customers for 10 or 15% when they choose to consume it there? They're, on average, they probably use it less than half, so now it's 7%. Right. And so then you end up with this great offer where you subscribe to our software, and if you want to run it on our hosted edition or not, it doesn't really impact us. Yeah. So you just the customer just doesn't think about where it runs. They just go, give me whatever resources Plus, it means need. you can get started immediately, and you never yeah. slow down any of the other stuff that might <clears throat> go on with labs or the other things. Right. And in theory, you only have to talk to procurement once. Yeah. So that's yeah, yeah. everyone likes that. No, they love that. Yeah, yeah. Like no so planning. Do you, do you find more I mean like I know like the little team that I run, we we love the Pivotal web services. We just build stuff and throw it and yeah. I don't have to think about going and finding gear. Do you find more people start there just because you can experiment there like you said and then yeah. pull back because they've got to build out an environment? And- I mean, that's really why Cloud Foundry's become the, the traction that it has, I think, is because yeah. it has the ease of use of a cloud service, but then you can bring it to a data center in a couple clicks. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we had a, you know, over a million dollar contract for a major manufacturing company that I thought was really conservative and they're building IOT with us. Yeah. And the PO came in one day and then the next day they said, hey, we want our P-dubs entitlement turned on. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, went directly to the hosted service. Now, will that, will that expand at some point? So, you know, obviously, um, you know, PWS has a bunch of native services, you know, queuing services and, and backend database services, but runs on AWS as the underlying mm-hmm. sort of plumbing. Will there ever be a point where you could go leverage a new AWS service as part of it, like, you know, Kinesis or something like that? Or is it, should I not think about things that way? I think you could totally write brokers that bring in the other Amazon services. Okay. And today we have user-provided services, so you could broker in all those. The thing that excites me more is actually expanding to other clouds. Like, imagine when you've got, like, you know, you know, talking to various service providers or other clouds, like, what if we offer that P-dubs entitlement with our software on their cloud. Yeah, I mean, it should, in theory, right? That's the, the thing. It, the same software runs everywhere. Go figure out your geography. How, how much, like, how much, as you're talking to all these customers, uh, are, they, are they thinking about, you know, I'm, I'm bound by this geography because of regulations, or is that a big deal, or is it more just like, I got to start figuring out how to do apps now, and I'm okay with where it lives. And uh, There's a lot of segmentation by vertical, and certainly people who have those regulations are concerned about them. But yeah. if, you're, if that's not something you have to worry about, then why would you? Right, right. You know, we have some people like, hey, I need Amazon Asia. Yeah. And today we don't offer P-dubs in Amazon and Asia, but PCF, you know, we can install so, But there. somebody could spin it up and, and yeah. host it there. Yeah, so yeah, that's our, like, triangle that we draw. We're like, hey, you can put PCF software on your data center on OpenStack or VMware. You can install it on public clouds and Amazon and soon CenturyLink. Yep. And then you could also run PDubs, which today and is I think only you're going to see on. Azure and, and Google at some point as well. Yeah, yeah. but PCF officially supports those. So, yeah. I mean, the, yeah, I sat through a session with the, the Azure guys. They were talking about it as if it's, whether it's there or it's coming, like, really soon. It wasn't a hidden thing. And They donated it to open source today. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing you announced this today, um, Netflix OSS inside of Spring Cloud. Boom. What does all that mean? Boom. What are, like... This people don't understand apps. Like this is the this is the great divide. Like these infrastructure people, they're like container, 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 and then they kind of say microservices at the end, but yeah. they don't really know what that means. Right. I'll tell you who knows what microservices means. The people really invented the term as a popular thing, which is Netflix. Yeah. 
So I don't know if Cote or Schaefer want to tell people a little bit about what those Netflix OSS services are, but I, if you talk to me around the hallways, like I talk about it a bit. Yeah. <laughs> so if you look at the Netflix GitHub account, there's a bunch of different pieces. Not all of them are in Spring Cloud because some of them are things that are very specific or maybe the, you know, the Simeon Army and some of that stuff's different than what we're talking about. But there's a bunch of simple patterns. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the Hystrix is a circuit breaker pattern. Eureka is a configuration uh, dis- uh, service discovery. There's a, what's the config server called? There's a ribbon load balancer. There's a bunch of these little Lego pieces that you can start to put together your services with yep. that are wrapped in uh, kind of convenience annotations in, in Spring Cloud that you could take advantage of. And then here's the, here's the real telling part for me that inside of Netflix themselves, they started using Spring Boot to build a lot of their new apps. Mm-hmm. And then it's come full circle where there's a Spring One talk. At least I, it's, it's submitted, I believe it's uh, on the website, yeah. that there's Netflix people consuming Netflix open source through Spring Cloud as a, internal to Netflix. So okay. they created these services. Right. We made them native Spring annotations that require less code, yeah. just instant pluggability. They said, thank you for doing that. We'll go ahead and use that. And uh, because we use Spring Boot and Spring anyway. Right. And that's the, the hidden secret is a lot of people in cloud infrastructure don't understand the app tier and microservices in terms of what it really means to build them. Um, we are the purveyors of Spring Boot. And I showed a chart today in our uh, keynote. We broke one million downloads of Spring Boot by Java developers in April alone. Wow. So that chart is up and to the right. And I don't know if you saw the chart, Brian, but like it went like this. And then the last two quarters, it went like (laughs) it was already up and to the right. And then it kind of went vertical, like elevator style. And then the other important aspect of all of that, whatever we end up calling it, is that it's it's uh, it's written to be cloud enabled. Right. So it's one thing to go download all that code and figure out how to install it yourself and run everything. But now it'll run in the platform and scale up and scale down and get configured and do all do all the fancy pants stuff. Cloud native, if you will. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've wondered for a long time when somebody was going to commer- you know, sort of pseudo-commercialize that. Wonder no more. Yeah, yeah that's, that's actually, I think, I think when we were briefing analysts about it, that's the reaction all of them gave us. But they said, like, how come no one's done this We before? had the assets to wrap around it, right? Like, yeah. if you just package that independently, but we had the framework to annotate and code against, and then we had the platform to run them on as services. Right. Like, we didn't do that independently. Like, it's, it's a nice glue layer for us. And there's yeah. a server component on some of it as well. So you have the clients that you annotate and put into whatever you're going to run, but then you have to actually run that server as a service. Okay. And so you, you're getting packaged both of those things so that you can do a deployment into Cloud Foundry that's going to manage that service with all the other operational benefits you get from our platform. Okay. And then you have the ability to configure the clients to take advantage of that running service. Okay. So it's, I mean, because Netflix always talked about, I mean, you, you talked about this a little bit, like people either built their own platform because yeah. you had to back in the day or yeah. whatever, or, you know, now there's much more structured model. I mean, is this essentially like uh, the Netflix platform running as a, I don't know, a, a subset of services within Cloud Foundry? Is that a, an easy way to think about it? Or how, like if somebody were to draw a picture of this, right, Cloud Foundry might sit as the, the base layer and then Spring Cloud, Spring Boot is a set of services or what's the... This, and, this would be, I think this, this is be higher nice to have level a than what I consider their platform because they build a full deployment platform as a service that's mm-hmm. specific to, to them. To them that's internal. Movies, right. their, their deployment artifact w- was uh, actually the AMI, so they baked everything and then did deployments through 
through Amazon's built-in stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's evolved a bit now, and they might open source pieces of that. But this is actually the layer above that's more focused on the application microservices and less oh, on, that, okay. on that deployment artifact. <clears throat> okay. Think of this as the, the most the canonical example here that I like that I show even CIOs get is circuit breakers. You know, when one part of when one microservice gets slow, how do you keep them all from hanging while waiting for that one? And so what the circuit breaker does is it pulls one of them out of the return path. Right. And it either gives you a default alternative URL, URI, or it just returns blank. It's a way to structure graceful degradation of services and, like, build it into as a pattern. Okay. And and what's important about this all is, like, everyone keeps talking about next-gen architecture. But, like, when you actually go to write these apps, you might need some help of doing these distributed apps uh, as, as, uh, you know, Martin Fowler said, the microservices are not a free lunch. Right. Right. Yeah, you can go get the book on, you know, release it and start to write these from scratch, or you can use the one that Netflix has already been running in production. Right. I mean, to, to, to add to that, so was, I, I would think of it as it's an implementation of these architectural patterns that yeah. use at the application layer. And, right. and, and then also, in addition to that, um, some of the, the management features that you need when you're running a, a microservices-based architecture right? to, well, to monitor and, and, and check and you, up on it. And you it. always need that. I mean, there's always the super early pioneers, and if you're ever going to you know, uh, cliche, but cross that chasm, like to, to get to the masses, you've got to show them examples. Like they need stuff because it's hard. I mean, it's hard to learn. It's hard to, um, and that's all going to be, it's going to be a, a cloud foundry service or it's going to be a pivotal cloud foundry service or it's both? Be a pivotal cloud foundry service. Okay. So I think the unique position pivotals in, um, in addition to be the first and best <laughs> distribution of cloud foundry, um, is that you know we are the only company that also has that leading microservices Java community yep. with Spring Boot and the Spring Cloud, and so we're just including it in PCF, just like we're including the Amazon hosting for free. Yep. We're like, hey, you might need cloud in this subscription. Hey, you might need microservices extensions in this subscription. Like one price. Right. So taking taking out a lot of that. But friction. like all the pivotal portfolio, it's open source in the sense that you can go get the Spring Cloud bits, you can go get the thing that, that what we're packaging as a product is the running of the actual service. Yeah. So operationalizing the quote-unquote as-a-service aspect of those things, the Spring Cloud annotations, that's there. Yep. Now you're if you want to go put those services up, stand those services up, manage them yourself, knock yourself out, and use Spring Cloud all day. Gotcha, yep. gotcha. That no, makes sense, makes sense. So I'll ask one last question because uh, I know you guys are bound by time and a lot going on. So you're all out talking to customers yeah, you know, like you talked about this week, there's, I don't know, a dozen or so of your customers here talking. And so 10 Fortune 500 customers of Pivotal Cloud Foundry here talking. What are what are some of the cooler applications or sort of highlight things that you go, that's really business changing? Not technology, but I mean, like, what are a few that, that you talk about all the time with people that you go, they're doing something that's really changing their business because of these new applications? Yeah, I mean, Humana was talking today about just new connected health applications as an example. Mm-hmm. Like Humana was in the insurance business forever of here's your form to procure insurance and do right. you get paid. And, and they're in that technology hotbed of Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah, and, uh, and so sort of the last company that has the natural motivation in some sense, but they got an innovator die, become a software company or die, and they said – what we need to be able to do is fight chronic illness, mm-hmm. which is less around once you have the problem, go to your doctor, here's your form, here's your interface. Like, how do we touch our patients every day and remind them to be healthier? How do we get into their lives more, more connected with them? Yeah. They talked about using Cloud Foundry to build that application. Right. And to me, that's pretty, just pretty transformative that people go from, you know, uh, insurance, uh, health insurance to wellness. Yeah. Um, enabled by a platform. 
I'll give that a well, vote. And, the, for and those cool. are always a little more interesting than the next Snapchat or whatever porn pseudo porn application you're going to build or whatever. Like if you're yeah, like you're changing lives, you're conserving water, whatever that weekend that project. Human, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they had a, they had a nice way of summarizing it. I mean, it, it was interesting. It was there are two basically developers types who were talking this morning and and. Uh, they said that they, they were trying to take an approach where they, they put people at the center of their business, which, you know, sounds kind of cheesy, sort of taken out of context. But as, as James was saying, like, it's better than having forms at the center of your business. And, <laughs> yeah. and if, you, if you have that approach, then naturally you start thinking about it. I think they went over like three applications that they, mobile apps that they put out. And they're all basically about interacting directly with a person. And, and, and as an example of thinking in a people-oriented way, they said... Um, what were the stats they had? Like we, we had a version of it was the vitality thing where you basically get points for doing healthy stuff. And anyone who works at a big corporation has seen that. Yep. It's fun. Yep. Ate a banana, get a point or yeah, whatever. Gamification. And uh, they said they had the web version of it and people weren't really using it. And then they realized that, well, if we think in a people oriented way, like they have a phone. So let's go to where the people are. And then once they did that, like obviously people started using it more. But I think I think it's like when when I look kind of forward out from like what are interesting cases and what people are doing with software, there's sort of this notion of so once you get all this infrastructure in place, now the hard work of actually coming up with these applications can start, yeah. right? Like instead of managing infrastructure, which is not easy, just figure out how to make people eat more bananas and, and all of that, which uh, would be much nicer. And I think with that, uh, I, I have that I have one of my favorites, okay, which is the the CenturyLink story where they have probably more, more experience managing Cloud Foundry as a service than anyone else in our ecosystem, maybe outside of IBM. And they've chosen to partner with us as a customer to transform their own internal IT and software process. Mm-hmm. So having years and years of experience managing Cloud Foundry, offering as a service, and then seeing what our velocity is and what our value add as a, as a product is, yep. they chose to, to use Pivotal Cloud Foundry to do their own internal software development. And then they're also offering, as he mentioned earlier, uh, Pivotal Cloud Foundry on their cloud as an integration. So that, that commitment as a customer is really meaningful and gratifying right. to see someone use your software to like and and already have that experience running it, so it's not like they're coming out and be like, oh, well, we can use the open source. They run it as a service more than anyone else, and they still saw the value that Pivotal could add. Yeah, and that's and that's a big. De- I mean, like just finding how to accelerate learning curves is a big deal. Uh, you know, it's the people that are winning have figured out how to do learning curves faster. They're obviously doing it. They, you know, you guys deal with it all the time, so you got to go find people that are really good at it as opposed to learning it you know, on the fly and so forth. So cool guys with that. Uh, I think we're going to wrap it up. Um, it's been a good week. Uh, it's been an interesting week. A lot of, a lot of, it's, it's an interesting, uh, as Chip Childers was saying, sort of an interesting balancing act between, you know, the, the open and community side of things and what's going on on the commercial side of things. I think, uh, overall the community did a really good job this week of just showing where stuff's going forward. And, and, uh, you know, so that part was very cool. So Thanks for all you guys being on. How does anybody who uh, doesn't know how to find you online, what's, what's the best place, whether it's uh, Pivotal Cloud Foundry Resources or you guys individually or the events you're going to be speaking at? What's Waters that? James on Twitter. Little idea, Twitter. I'm just Cote in Twitter. <laughs> and we'll get all that in the show notes in case you guys need spelling on that. So, guys, with that, uh, we're going to wrap it up. And uh, thanks for a good week. And thanks for having us uh, all week and uh, letting us talk to your customers and your partners. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for being up, having me on. 